She runs the largest not-for-profit community-based hospice in the nation. You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me is Mary J. Labiak. Ms. Labiak is the president and CEO of the Hospice of the Florida Suncoast in Clearwater, Florida. Ms. Labiak, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you, Susan. What led to your interest in excellent end-of-life care? My interest was on two levels. One, obviously, was for patients and families. I had, in graduate school, been assigned to build support programs for children with cancer. Children with cystic fibrosis went on to work in my second year of residency with transplant patients, open-heart surgery patients. And it's so struck me what a difficult journey that was for people who weren't going to get better and for their families, and that we spent so much time telling people what they couldn't do and had people institutionalized when they so wanted to be home. So I was really committed, first and foremost, like we all are, to the well-being of patients and families. I realized how much we also had to learn about alleviating pain and suffering for those patients and families. Secondly, I really was driven to do something that I hoped had an impact on the world and firmly believe that people die well, not just because of the medical care they receive, but people die in the context of community. And you need to change the community. People's friends need to be able to continue to be a part of their lives. People need continuity of important relationships, like with their faith communities, with civic organizations, with their workplace. So it was about the patients and families, but it was also about the social change so that we could all care better for and about each other. Tell us the history of your hospice, Hospice of the Florida Sun Coast. Our hospice was founded 30 years ago by an extremely spunky, vivacious, and brilliant 82-year-old woman. She had had many of her family members who had died, including a son who was a physician, and was really quite enraged about how they suffered and about what happened for her. So we were started 30 years ago basically by a group of about a dozen volunteers, some who came from medical backgrounds, but many just activist people who had had a personal experience that they wanted to make different for other people. 30 years ago, we literally were that half dozen volunteers in a garage caring for one or two people at a time, mainly with friendly, neighborly support. Today, we care for any given day about 2,500 people in our community, most in their own homes. What spectrum of services does hospice offer? Well, there's the traditional hospice program, which is for people who are at the very end of their life. And there's nursing, physicians, social workers, clergy, volunteers who do everything from chores for the patient to respite for the family so they can get out to being family to people who don't have family. We provide medications, um, medical equipment, provide just about anything anybody would need in the hospice program, which is really designed for people in the last months of life. We at our hospice provide a very broad range of end-of-life services that begin with the very young, people who 
have stillborn babies. We have a doula program for those parents and those babies. We have a lot of programs for youth. We have hundreds of teenage volunteers who do a great service to today's patients, but hopefully also become a generation that deal with these frightening issues better than we do. We have counseling for people who are newly diagnosed with catastrophic illnesses and trying to figure out if I'm diagnosed with Alzheimer's today, you know, what's my course going to be? How do I put in place decisions so my wishes will be honored? We do a lot of advanced directives campaigns. We do workplace campaigns. We do faith communities. We encourage neighborhoods and families to have discussions in preparation for that time way down the road when these issues may come up. And then we move into palliative care for people who have an illness that they're not going to recover from but maybe don't need hospice yet. Then move into those hospice programs. And then we have a grief and loss center Not as much for people who've lost a loved one in hospice is people who've lost somebody in the community. Many times those are survivors of homicides, accidental, sudden deaths. We have a huge program for people who are survivors of suicides in the family. So again, you know, I think there's the hospice range of services, but then many hospice programs who, like ours, provide a very broad range whenever issues related to the end of life touch somebody across their lifespan. What do your family satisfaction surveys reveal? Well, I think it's really quite surprising. Uh, Virtually 100% of the families we serve say they would recommend hospice to a friend, to another family member. I think it's remarkable that the most catastrophic thing that could happen in most people's life, and that is losing the person they love most and is closest to them in the world, can happen, and yet people can look back on that experience and say it was as good as it could have been and hospice made that happen for me. Ms. Labiak, do family members express any regrets about hospice? The thing we hear most often, Susan, is that they wish they had gotten hospice sooner, whether they thought they weren't ready and put it off or whether nobody recommended it to them, and that they really realize hospice isn't about dying It's about living until you do die, and that they regret they didn't have longer to do some of the things with their loved one. I think that the second thing that we're glad we hear is that family members walk away from this experience feeling that they've done everything that they could, that care wasn't handed over to somebody, they were involved, that they were there when the person's life came to an end. They're not spending the rest of their life wondering, was he suffering? Was he calling out for me? I think people are often very fatigued from the experience, but long range comes out of this experience feeling like they were the heroes. And I think that's what we wanted. These aren't our lives, and it's not important we be the heroes for people. It's important that family members live the rest of their life knowing they did what they could 
that they're fine with what happened, and that they really are caregiving heroes to the person they loved most in the world. What is the biggest misconception doctors have about hospice? Oh, I think for the public and for physicians that it's about giving up hope, that it means there's nothing more I can do for you, when in actuality it's the greatest gift physicians can give to their patients, and it's about the reframing of hope. There may not be hope that one is going to be cured for this illness, but there can be hope that one can be comfortable and continue to live a meaningful and intact life until life is over for for somebody. I, I think there are some other specific misconceptions. One is that you can't have chemo, radiation, feeding tubes, ventilators. You know, one has to forego any aggressive treatment. You know, hospice certainly isn't about curative treatment, but there are times when very aggressive palliative care is appropriate and very much a part of hospice. And the third thing I would briefly say is the, the physician doesn't have to feel like they have to give up their role with somebody they may have known for a long period of time, that this is really about a partnership. They can be as involved in as much of the care team as they, they wish to be and don't have to feel like when it matters the most, they're walking away from their patient. I mean, they can really see us as an extension of that commitment to their patient. What do you see as the future of hospice? Well, we're seeing hospice changing very drastically. I think those of us who were early hospice people were very missionary, zealous-driven, very volunteer-intensive. We certainly have seen hospice become more professionalized. We've seen hospices no longer be just community-based. We're seeing proprietary chains of hospices across the United States. I mean, I, I think our greatest challenge is going to be to prove that you can be high-tech and be sophisticated in your care, but never lose the base of mission and vision and values and our heritage that was the building block of hospice. Ms. Slaviak, thank you so much for joining us to discuss hospice. Thank you, Susan. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions at ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of the ReachMD library. Thank you for listening.